I'm sorry. Himself? <laughs> it's my fault, man. I'm sorry. I fucked it up. I said, I said he did it again to me. He did it again. All these years, the man's been waiting through sickness and health to get me one more time. Mr. Gonjo, it ain't like that. I know that, Cher. I know that. What happened last week? Uh, what happened was that I went to an early screening of Willow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it turned out that they got hung up and they stalled for an hour before they got started. I see. So I got, I was just... Hey, that's okay. You yeah. know, I had a good day. I got Graham up there that day, which was uh, an experience. He's still talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> I put on the tape recorder. The man, man has not stopped talking yet. Right. <laughs> I just got a few things. You, you know, I'm, I'm doing this book. Yeah. And uh, it, it's turned out to be monstrous, and uh, and you're a very key player in it. So, uh, if you got a few minutes, I'd just like to talk. Absolutely, man. Why, why was it San Francisco that that all this stuff happened? Uh, what, what was? Why, why not someplace else? Well, well, it's, Jesus, for me, that's it's hard to talk about because I'm from here, you know. Of course. And most of the guys in the band are too. Uh, but I think one of the reasons is um, the Haight Ashbury was really just a regular working class neighborhood, um, you know. But it was cl relatively close to the bus lines that take you to San Francisco State. So San Francisco State students started renting the uh, old Victorians there. You could you could put like five people in one Victorian. There were two stories. They usually had four or five bedrooms. So each person paid like, you know, $40 a month. Uh, and you could cover the rent for them. So it was cheap housing. Yeah. That was one of the big reasons why they hate Ashbury, apart from other, some other neighborhood in the city. That It was an economic thing, basically. And and the music, uh, all of a sudden, this confluence of music. Well, people, that had yeah. to do with, yeah. I think, the thing of yeah. there being a lot of colleges in the Bay Area, yeah. Berkeley, uh, and each one of them had their coffee house outpost. This is during the folk scare. Sure. You know? So the roots of the San Francisco rock and roll scene was really the early 60s folk music thing. And that that the coffee house environment and the players all are people. Who, I mean, the the early rock and roll guys from uh, that scene are all people who were folk music players. The people in the Jefferson Starship, sure. the guys in Quicksilver, uh, our band, you know. Yep. And there were other people who were who were musical, um, just involved with other stuff. Jazz players, you know. What when you when you started. When you said I'm going to be a musician, uh -huh. what was it going to be? What, what did you think? It was going to be rock and roll. Yeah. When I started, I was 15 yeah. years old. My father was a professional musician, uh, and but I I had I had gotten piano lessons just about all my life, and, and I didn't learn a damn thing from him. You know that classical thing. And uh, when I was 14 or 15, I started to you know I, I fell in love with electric guitar on records, Chuck Berry and those. I'm, it's classic 50s stuff. Yeah. And I listened to it, and I just wanted to make that sound in the worst way. And the, and the bluegrass and the jug bands were just stopping off periods along oh, the way? Came, yeah, that came afterwards. Yeah. Because it, it, by 59, <clears throat> I didn't think it was cool anymore to play rock and roll. Rock and roll was getting to be unfashionable, you know? And somebody turned me on to folk music, and I heard that sound of bluegrass banjo, and that completely copped my attention. Yeah. So that was like a three-year, four-year excursion into that into that world, where I really learned how to uh, to pick things apart. You know, that was the way you had to learn yeah. bluegrass banjo. You had to slow the records down and learn it note for note. And 
like that. So that gave me that discipline to learn how to do that stuff. Were the other guys uh, who eventually became the Warlocks and the Dead, were they into the jug band and the uh, bluegrass stuff too? Bobby and Pigpen were both in the yeah. jug band with me. Right. Yeah, but Phil was a guy I knew from over in Berkeley. He was a guy, the first guy I met who was a total music lover. He was also the first guy I met with perfect pitch and, and the best musical education of anybody I knew. He'd been to Mills College. He'd been a music major. And he was, when I first met him, he took me over to his apartment in Berkeley. Uh, and there, there he was. There he was with a card table, no piano or anything. You know, here's a card table with orchestra scoring music on it, and he's writing this thing, this a piece for three orchestras, and he's writing it out of his head. Wow. You know what I mean? Mozart stuff. No, yeah, no piano, nothing. You know, he's writing that sucker out of his head. You know, I thought, man, that is incredible. I couldn't fucking believe it. This guy, you know. So he's a guy who just taught me all kinds of. I mean, he turned me on to all kinds of music, modern. He was an avant-garde freak, too. You know, everything from uh, Schoenberg and, you know, yeah. all, everything in the 20th century music. He, uh, he studied with Berio. Yeah. And uh, he had this incredible background of uh, classical music, and also he had been a jazz trumpeter. And he wanted to join a rock band? Well, it was that during that period of time when yeah. everybody was looking for something neat to do, and the Beatles' first movie came out, Hard Day's Night. Right. And that movie kind of, uh, they're like, well, okay, now that looks like fun, you know. This looks like something to be really fun to do. So w when the band finally fell into place as the Warlocks, it was basically what was the, the Grateful Dead. Absolutely. Kreutzmann, me, yeah. Phil. Pig and Bobby, huh? That's right. And what did it sound like? sounded like hell. <laughs> it sounded really awful for the first few gigs. <laughs> but pretty, pretty soon, because of Big Pen's solid grounding in the blues, we got to be a pretty fair to Midland blues band, you know? And then we found that uh, at the time, it was, uh, the, the, you know, when you played the bars, you had to do the top 40s. So we found that uh, all of the old, the old Rolling Stone stuff was just like what we'd grown up on, the Chicago... Uh, chess record sound, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. The Muddy Waters, that feel. Sure. Uh, Jimmy Reed. Little Walter, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we say, hey, this is this is like the music that we know how to play. We already know how to play this kind of music. So we went, took to Rolling Stones stuff. We were When we were covering uh, stuff to play the bars, that's what we did. And we sounded, that's what we sounded good at. And that's how we started getting our first gigs. Because we were basically sort of a blues-oriented kind of Rolling Stones style band. Was it the Warlocks very long before you became uh, the dead? About a year. And, and what, what triggered the, the new identity? Well, we finally discovered that there was a band that was recording under using the name Warlocks, although we never have been able to find out who they were. That was what we heard. You know, hey, there, hey you guys, there's a band recording yeah. called the Warlocks. And we said, oh, shit, well, we can't have that kind of confusion. So we went on the, the, the band hunt, you know, which is a standard, the name, looking right. for a name more or less standard thing to do. That was about the time we fell in with the acid test and Keezy and those guys. Right. Uh, that's what I want to ask, the first experiences with that. First of all, the name came from whom? Who uh, who dug it up? Well, I found it in an old dictionary at Phil's yeah. house. There's an old dictionary. I just opened it up, and yeah. there I saw 
the Grateful Dead. Jesus, you could have been, could you imagine what would have happened? The warlock heads? I mean, uh, uh, the people following you for all these years would have to be called the warlocks. Yeah, Fucking right. the dictionary changed society. It absolutely did. Yes, it did. <laughs> now, wh how did it fall in with Kesey? What were these first experiences with acid? What, how did it happen? What were they like? What was well, the impact? We, we started taking acid ourselves. Yeah. Uh, while we were still the Warlocks, we only we didn't do it at shows. We, yeah. we, we at the time we were playing the divorcees bars up and down the peninsula, you know. Yeah. We we had a uh, our booking agent was this guy Al King who used to book strippers and dog acts and magicians and everybody else, you know. <laughs> and be, between him and the local local uh, six up here, that was how we worked. You know, we, it was the standard gig six nights a week, five sets a night. You know, uh, standard bar stuff. We were doing that for about a year. And uh, uh, we were ready for anything, you know. After that, you're ready for anything. So we, you know, then we discovered a different name and a friend of ours who, who was, uh, we knew a lot of the people in Kesey's scene because it was all part of the Palo Alto scene, which we were part of. And they knew of us. And one of this, the one guy named Paige, who was one of the pranksters, came to one of our uh, late night sets at one of the bars we were playing at. I said, hey, you guys, we're, we're having these parties up at Kesey's place in La Honda every Saturday night. Why don't you guys come? And we said, well, we're working all the time. Luckily, the following week, we got fired, and we had nothing to do. So Saturday night came around. We went to the first one of those parties, which later became the acid test. After that, they moved out of <clears throat> Kesey's La Honda place, and they started sending guys out, and the pranksters sending guys out to rent bigger rooms. And what, what did you do there? I mean, it was just experimenting? Well, uh, we just got, we yeah. set up the equipment, you yeah. know. Everybody got high, and stuff would happen. Now, Kesey and his banksters have been doing this for a long time, so they had all kinds of stuff kind of worked out. They had instruments, they played weird music, and uh, but mostly it was completely free. There was no real uh, performance of any kind involved. Everybody there was as much performer as audience, you know. Did it impact the music uh, for you guys? Sure, it did. Well, the big thing about it was, oh, the other thing about it was yeah. that everybody paid to get in. That included the band and everybody else. So we came, and they these guys had never been confronted with a regular rock and roll band, you know. And we plugged our gear in, which looked like, uh, our stuff looked like, Space age uh, military nightmare stuff <laughs> compared to all their stuff, which was hand painted and real funky, you know. And we set our stuff up and bam, we played about for about five minutes, you know, and then we all freaked out, you know. We played for about five minutes, but it completely devastated everyone, you know. So they begged us to come back to the next one. We came back, and, we, and that's how it happened, essentially. Now, what did this band, you know, when, when you guys now, you're, you're doing some, some acid, you're playing around, what did you expect to be? Were you going to be a Beatles? Were you going to be a great rock and roll? What were you going to do? We were, didn't really care what, 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 whether we went somewhere specifically. We mostly wanted to have fun. Ah. You know, and we were, and when, when we fell in with the acid test, we started having the most fun we'd ever had, ever. You know, more than we could have ever... I mean, it was just incredible. And how long did that go on? Uh, for about six months. Right. But that was probably the most important six months in terms of directionality, you know. Because uh, the neat thing about the acid test was we could play if we wanted to, but if it was too weird, we could always not play. You know, so that was the only time we ever had the option of not playing. Did you guys figure you had to follow some kind of establishment route if you were going to go, or didn't that matter either? That didn't seem to matter, because right about the same time, the first meme troop benefits and Bill Graham's early, and the, the family dogs, 
early rock and roll shows and dance concerts, they were called, you know, uh, started happening in the Longshoreman's Hall. And, you know, so we went right from the acid test to playing at the dance concerts. And pretty soon we were doing better than we did at the clubs, you know, in terms of making more money. Right. And uh, we were getting up, building up a pretty good following. So we could, we were, you know, and that was, you know, the second year of, that we were together, we were already surviving as a band. Did, was there a great ambitious surge in the band? Did you want to be big, or didn't you care? No, we, it didn't really matter. Yeah. It was happening to us already. Yeah. You know, it was. I mean, we we were doing something that we uh, we were we had convictions about the music that we wanted to yeah. play, stuff that we wanted to do, and approaches that we wanted to try, and all that. And the audience was um, people who mostly danced. So as long as the the beat was there, they were real happy. Did you figure you were selling out at all by signing with a legitimate record company and following that path? Uh, no, but we that? weren't hungry. Yeah. You know when we uh, so we decided as long as we're going to go with a record company, if it's if it's going to happen, because we don't we we felt like we didn't really need it. We had the we were doing the dance thing. We were working. You know, we were working and surviving and making a living and having a great time. So what else did we really need? You know, we, and the the Starship had already made their first record, and we had some idea of what it was like. Uh, to be more successful than we were, you know, and it wasn't that wasn't that great, wasn't that different, you know, and uh, and it seemed to be more of a headache, even, you know. Well, it, it uh, certainly appeared that way that uh, you almost objected to uh, more success. Right. Well, in a way, we we didn't object to it no. certainly, but but uh, it it wasn't our it wasn't the first thing on our priorities. You know what I mean? And and the band, what was the chemistry inside the band? I don't mean chemicals, I mean, but just chemistry. How'd you guys get along? Oh, we always got along great. Yeah? Yeah, we still get along great. There was yeah. never internal stuff there? We've always been really lucky along yeah. those lines. Well, we've had our squabbles. Oh, sometimes. yeah, yeah. But uh, never anything that was, never anything that the band itself wasn't larger than, you know? And as the band started getting larger, was there any impact? I mean, you guys now, survival was no longer a question. It was uh, how big you could get. Well, luckily, our first record was not a huge, big success. You know, right. it, it was okay, did okay and a little bit, and it, it gave us national uh, exposure. So now we got to play in New York and other places, and I think that really, the fact that we weren't, uh, we weren't immediately successful, I think, really helped us in a huge way. It gave us a chance to sl really be slow and deliberate about our own development, you know? And and all through, uh, it was always like a, a miniseries or an, an ongoing soap opera, the New Orleans, the Lenny Hart, the, right. the things that went on. <laughs> right. You guys seemed to slide through it somehow. Kept us interested, you know? <laughs> well, we had to always still had to keep on working. I mean, that was what was going on, which was all right. That was what we wanted to do anyway. And so it, it, it made it so, okay, so somebody comes along and burns us for a couple of years. Hey, no problem. When they're gone, we'll still be together. And, uh, you know, that's... It really didn't hurt, you know. The New Orleans was a trauma, I guess, wasn't it? It was a trauma, but it was also, when it happened, it was funny. When uh, dealing with it in, in the aftermath was uh, unpleasant, but um, never uh, never life-threatening, you know what I mean? Did you ever hear... We played one of the best shows of our lives that night. Boy, we had a great time. Also, the Lenny Hart situation was a traumatic experience. Oh, boy, that was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. That was tough. It was like discovering that you have somebody in your scene that's working against you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was mostly... The thing that made me mad about Lenny was that 
he wasn't smart enough to exploit us the way we would have exploited ourselves if we cared to, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, you don't mind a crook, but a crook that's not a smart crook. <laughs> a dumb crook. That's right. But through it all, this band just constantly hung in there, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. here we are. Yeah. And and Working Man's Dead opened up a new thing. What, what was the story? Did you finally decide that's what you wanted to do, or did our, everybody's pressure to go do some songs? How did that come well, about? Well, in a way, it was the thing of we'd spent so much time and so much money working on our second two records. And then it was, we didn't want to go through that experience again, definitely. So I thought, hey, what I'm going to do is write some songs that are so fucking simple, man, and so easy for everybody to understand that we'll do them in the studio in about a minute, you know. It'll take no time, it will cost us hardly anything, and we may be able to get out of this endless uh, thing of spending more than we make, you know. On records, it seemed crazy to me. So that's kind of the idea behind Working Man's Dead, although really, um, and also the next record, Working Man's Dead, American Beauty, it's both kind of one record, really. It, and, and that worked out beautifully. It really did. It worked out great. You guys were happy with the success? I, I, oh, yeah, I, sure. I always wondered you know, about that. You, when you make a record, you do. You, you picture yourself riding along in your car and hearing yourself on the radio saying, yeah, yeah, that's our record, you guys. You know, <laughs> that, uh, that, I mean, we would have loved it if our first record had got, gone gold yeah. and, uh, and, you know, and we had a hit things. single and all shit. We would have loved it. But if since it didn't happen, well, you know. What what happened in uh, in 1974 when the band kind of stopped touring and disbanded for a while? Well, we finally got to... That was back when we used to carry the wall with us, the uh, big sound system. Yeah. And we finally got to the point where we were spending as much at each, each concert as we were making. We broke... We hit the break even, you know, thing. And finally... We, and so essentially, we were out there working our asses off and not really making anything. We, we It was costing us exactly what we made to... to put on our shows so we thought maybe we better fall back and uh and you know yeah. re-examine what we're doing you know and were, were drugs still a, a big part of the band in the uh, in the 70s not a big part yeah. but certainly there have always been drugs around yeah and uh and and they had moved on some of the guys had moved on later on from acid and things like that and yeah. just uh and, and did things like that well I, uh, I had my own personal yeah. bad run in for about 10 years with all kinds of hard drugs yeah, yeah. And, but uh, the rest of the band has all, I mean, we've never all agreed on anything, and that includes drugs, you know. When I mean, there have always been guys in the band that didn't take anything. What got you back together again and, and started this incredible role of uh, the, the Grateful Dead out on the road again? Well, I think a lot of things, but I think probably the main thing was that thing of me uh, getting sick. Right. And that, that really got my attention, certainly, you know, because I, I, uh, I've just been neglecting myself. Uh, for the longest time, you know, without even thinking about it. And I think probably I didn't, I never really expected to live this long in the first place, you know. So I just kind of found myself in that space where, Jesus. Uh, all of a sudden I got struck down, you know, I, uh, and didn't, wasn't aware that it was happening to me. And I felt like, I don't want to get caught like this again. This is something that, I mean, I could have died, you know. Sure. And so for me, it was that thing of, it was what I needed to, 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 pull my consciousness out of where I'd been. That was very helpful in a, in a horrible sort of way. Yeah. You know? And I think that, that that's given us just all the, everything that went down around that has given the band this latest kick in the ass. But now it's cruising along on its own par. I mean, now uh, just the whole band is settling into a kind of a, 
uh, it's kind of a journeyman space, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why? Now, well, now we know what we're doing, kind of. Well, yeah, I guess there's a lot of uh, uh, theories, but why is it that this one aggregation, this one combination, can continue to do it 23, 24 years later with audiences that never heard of them, the first, that weren't alive the first time around? What, what is it that you guys got? That, I haven't the slightest idea, Joe. <laughs> is it they want to rekindle some thought of a time that they never knew? It's, it is the one of the great phenomenons of, of the entertainment world. I would think that that were the case if most of the, the young deadheads came into it with some sense of history. Yeah. But they don't come into it with some, you know, they don't come in having read the Kool-Aid acid test, they're on the yeah. road, you know what I mean? They don't have that same background. Now, earlier, during the 70s, that was the case. But now, during the 80s, these are people who are, just, I think the Grateful Dead kind of represents uh, America, the, um, the spirit of being able to go out and have an adventure in America at large, you know what I mean? It's like one of the things that you can do is that you can go out and follow the Grateful Dead around, and you have your war stories, you know? Yeah. Stories about the time that you were driving through just planes in the middle of the night and got four flat tires, and some farmer helped you out and put you up, and you know what I mean? It's become like a traveling Woodstock. That's right. It's yeah. like an, like adventure stories, stuff that you can talk about, and stuff that you can share with your friends, and stuff that's not cheap. In other words, you have to go out and put some energy into it. But if you're willing to do that, you can have a lot of fun and you meet a lot of neat people. So that's kind of, I think that's what motivates the audience now, that we represent that, that, that something like uh, hopping railroads, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Some, something like that, or being on the road like uh, Cassidy and yeah, Kerouac. Yeah. It, it, but you can't do those types of things anymore, but you can be a deadhead. You can get in your van and go with the other deadheads and cross the United States and meet it on your own terms and and it's sort of a niche for it in a way. God, do you ever sit and wonder how, how fortunate I mean or how wild that is for oh, you to have we, that we we ponder it daily, yeah. Joe. <laughs> we do. We in fact it's 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 become our life really, you know. Yeah. And the deadheads and how they deal with us and how they deal with each other and all that has become a matter of may of basic concern to us. What do they like to hear when you're out there? Do they like the old songs? Or? They like the new stuff as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. they aren't attached to... They know about the old stuff because the tapes get passed around, but, right. you know, these people are, are... They're from today. They're not yeah. from the past. It's true, yeah. You know, so it's... They're coming to us with a distinct, with an 80s bias on their... You know what I mean? That's... They, yeah, yeah. They're their own people, and they, yeah. they are self-designed. And, and you, you continue to show the most eclectic interest in music. Uh, you're on everything but a humpback whale record. Uh, uh, you, you're still... You get on one of them, too. You still love to do that, don't you? Oh, man, I love it, yeah. What other kind of bands are you... What other kind of music are you playing, then? Uh, well, I just did a record with Ornette Coleman. Ooh. Uh, yeah. No kidding. And, yeah. Uh, and, and you felt comfortable doing that? I loved it. And uh, I, I don't have any major projects going, but my band, my my solo band, is really neat. And and are they playing around a lot? Yeah, we play down in L.A. pretty for, pretty frequently down at the um, um, Wiltern. Is it called Jerry Garcia Band? Yeah, the Jerry Garcia Band. Is there anything coming up in the next month or so? No, no not until time. toward the end of the year. Cause the end of the Grateful Dead's real busy. Oh yeah. Uh, what's happening? You make another record? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on another record right now. And tour. Yeah. yeah, and and the band hangs in there. Everybody together still. Oh yeah, every day. Yeah, and and all are all just living through this incredible period. Huh? Yeah, it's it's going good, and we're enjoying it. You know. 
Well, it is uh, one of the miracle stories that uh, when I when I think about it, and kids tell me they're you know they're deadheads up there, man. <laughs> still us. Still surviving. Jerry, thank you for this. Thank you, John. I'm uh, sorry I hung you up for so long. Nah, that's okay. I appreciate that. Uh, exists, but uh, you know, I, I have such a fond feeling for you guys, and uh, and, and I know what it, you know. We live through a very incredible time too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish you well. Hey, 